The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast at Ring RFC. I'm Musa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm oh, right, thanks man. How are you? Very well, thanks. Uh, lovely weekend. Um, I was in Manchester for a little bit, so I saw... Oh, you were. Lord Carl Anker and Casey Evans talking football. Then I was just down at a festival, Jodrell Bank Observatory, speaking at the wonderful Blue Dot Festival about, in the end, it's all about love. Shout out to Rough Trade Books. And Chris Hawkins who interviewed me from BBC Six and then back to London to record the podcast with your good self. Look at this. Jet setting. Absolutely. Train setting. Train setting. Oh, uh, yes, uh, of course. Yes. Train setting. Ah, that's something we might touch on later. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Traveling. There we go. Yeah, look at that. Bit of a teaser. We hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Some admin, the Ringer FC feed is going to be busy this week. Chocker block. Yeah, yeah. So I think you and I are going to join in to do a post-England-Sweden podcast so that mm. we'll record that Wednesday morning and then you and I will do a short bonus after Germany France mm. that will go up probably Thursday morning and then very late Thursday UK time probably best for everyone Friday morning to listen to it's going to be a little bonus right house episode so lots to keep you busy on the Ringer FC feed plenty um, don't forget to check the ringer.com in general, some great stuff going up at the moment. And other than that, is there any other admin? I think we're good for now. We're good yeah, for the good admin. For, yeah. Well, today we're going to talk about some huge games that happened over the weekend, including South Africa's win in the Women's AFCON final. Yeah. And we'll also talk about the other two Euros quarterfinals that have happened since we last recorded. And then after that, maybe we'll just touch on a couple of other bits before we wrap. We're going to keep it pretty brief today. Yep. So let's get into it after this. Let's do it. All right, man, where do you want to begin? I, well, there's only one place, the 2022 Women's Africa Cup of Nations final, because this had all the vitamins, this game. Banyana, um, Banyana. Yes. Won their first ever Women's AFCON title. Morocco won, South Africa two. South Africa led by Desiree Alice, I think three-time 
CAF uh, Coach of the Year. Um, and this is a crowning glory for her and for her wonderful team. And really just the culmination of many years of outstanding struggle for this team on and off the field. Mm. So yeah, what a great victory for them. And what a game. What a game it was. It was a great game. I mean, 45,000 sellout in Morocco. Obviously all rooting for the home side. Who, I think in the aftermath of this, with the kind of his, like the historic nature of South Africa's win, it's worth pointing out as well that Morocco are a side who have never got out of the groups in AFCON before. Mm. And they've also qualified for their first ever World Cup. So while they didn't get over the line, obviously they would have loved to have won it, uh, to have won it on home soil. So many positives to come even for them after yes. losing this final. The game itself I thought was really good. Yeah. The thing I want to say about this game in particular that struck me, it was like watching someone, you know, like someone going out for their morning jog and they're out the front door and they don't, they're just like, they're like naught to 60 straight out the gate and they're up the road and they're gone. Like, well, there's half marathon runners. It was like that. It felt like this game began with such an intensity as if both teams knew exactly how and where they wanted to attack. Mm-hmm. And it felt like, it felt like the flanks. This was all about the flanks in this game in terms of the two midfielders being so well matched that it was just like, punch and counterpunch down the wings. And one thing I want to mention very quickly is a game, is a moment in the game that was the epitome of this match. I think with that 38, 39, 40 minute mark, about five minutes to go till half time, South Africa get their first clear chance, really clear chance. And within a minute, Morocco are threatening down the right flank on the counter. And that kind of summed this up. Um, a threatening uh, attack by South Africa, the inside left channel, which where they ended up scoring both their decisive goals, and then a break down the flank, which is where Morocco were dangerous throughout. So yeah, just a superb game, um, technically, tactically, and deserved winners in South Africa. They were great. I thought that they, I, I was reading a piece by Alistair Howarth, who I think was there covering the, the game, and he's saying that Desiree Ellis's team selection and the way that she set them up kind of really nullified some of Morocco's ability to play out and and some of the ways that they've been really impressive through the tournament. Now, admittedly, I haven't been able to catch as much of this tournament as, say, the Euros, which mm. is actually something I want to talk about in a little bit. But I've caught, checked in with highlights whenever I can. And, and while I think Morocco definitely had their moments in this game, bar maybe the opening half an hour or so where it felt like, I think I referenced on Wright's House about the England-Spain game, about how both teams really felt like they were kind of wrestling for control Mm. it felt like overall South Africa were just vastly superior not vastly that's a little bit harsh but definitely had the better overall of the game and I think that a lot of that was down to the way that they stopped Morocco doing the things that they'd been able to do all tournament Mm. and yet even then it was it was still so close at the end Um, I mean Hilda Magaya got both goals for South Africa and it's really interesting that she's, she was the joint top goal scorer in the competition, but she missed a couple of games through COVID. And I think she mm. came on as a substitute on her return. So just a really imp- impressive tournament for her, a really impressive tournament for South Africa. And I think they've lost in five finals before. Wow. And it's worth putting this into context as well in the wider scheme of things. Like things are changing slowly for women's football in Africa, but it still has so much more to do from federation and executive level down in terms of investment and professionalization and uh, pay and facilities and all of this stuff that we've, a story that we've told or so many times with regards to many different areas of women's football. 
Yeah. But it's it's really important to highlight this in context, like a sellout home crowd from Morocco for a women's AFCON final. You know, the stadium was full two hours before kickoff, basically. Fully raucous as well, yeah, yeah. And it was yeah. very rowdy. There were flares going off. There was the laser. I don't agree with the laser thing, but there were lasers getting, you know, it was like hostile home crowd. And it was, it was, an, it was an amazing occasion. And I think that one of the things that I, I don't want to take, it, take away from, it was a really, really great final. Mm. An amazing thing for South Africa to, to finally get over the line because like we were talking about before, they're only the third side to have ever won a women's AFCON. Yeah, it's wild. It's just like, this isn't a, this isn't a, um, this isn't a tournament that gets, that the winners. It has a monopoly. Are, you had, was yeah. it Nigeria and Equatorial Guinea have been dividing among themselves for the last, for the first few tournaments. Yeah. So I it's mean, really, won, a, yeah. I think a total of, uh, hang on, where is it? They've won a, a total of 30 of the, they've won all 13 up to this right. point. And South Africa have only now have, have become only the third side to ever win it. Yeah. Um, it's a massive deal. And one of the things that I felt really annoyed about through this tournament, and it's kind of similar to with the, the Copa America Femenina, mm. and also something that we missed last week, like the Philippines winning the AFF Women's Championship. It's the first time that I think a, a national side from the Philippines has ever won a trophy, like a major trophy like that. A massive mm. deal. Finding access to these games and finding access to results and s- scores and checking in and stuff like that and on, on the kind of usual apps. You know, there were, there were a couple of points because we were trying to keep an eye on, women's Af- on the women's AFCON throughout the Euros as well. Mm. There were times where I literally had to like spend, I had to really, really dig to find out what time games were kicking off, who had mm. won certain games, where I could even watch it. The great thing about the final was that it was just on YouTube. You could just watch it live on YouTube and you could watch the highlights back on YouTube from the, from the CAF account. Mm. I'm annoying myself at how much we have to say this on the podcast, but like... Mm. There are certain games from domestic level, from international level within women's football where you have to, if, unless you really, really, really want to, want to watch it or find it, you have to, you have to really try. Yeah, that should and be the case. It should not be the case because it's just such a free hit for any broadcaster or for, or for people to stream it or for apps to kind of include the app, like the, the results and stuff like that. Giving people access to the football helps grow the game. Right. And it sounds a bit ranty, but I just think it's such a shame because that final was, it was amazing. It's one of the best finals I've seen in a while. It really is. In terms of an occasion as well. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I just wish that stuff was a little bit more easily available for people because it really, really does help. Can I say, and, and in, on, exactly, and to add to that and very much in a positive vein, the YouTube stream was just great. Great to have that. And that's just yeah. more of the same. You know, when, when they started putting um, the Champions League games, Women's Champions League games on yeah. YouTube, it's absolute gold. It's absolute gold. So yeah, just more of the same, really. Because you're not going to lock down like multi, 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 multi-million pound, multi-million euro, multi-million dollar deals for something that hasn't had the audience grown yet. So if you grow the audience, yeah, like, yeah, make it later, easily yeah. available. Like, Look at the WSL. Just look, that, yeah. that absolutely exploded. Look how that's taken off now in terms yeah. of, and there was a not time terms of the quality of football, in terms of the visibility. There was a time yeah. where there was like, you know, certain apps and or whatever just wouldn't even have any kind of like statistics within there yeah, it's yeah. just so it really really does help anyway that's my own little, my only little gripe about this is that no, good. Go it'd for be it, great yeah. if, if it'd be great if we had a little bit more access to to watching it outside of where they're taking place you know yeah. um 
But I suppose on that note, well, fine, just let's just give Banyana Banyana one more round of probs because I think yeah. Well, actually, there's and, something I found. Actually, I was I was doing in, in the prep for this. I was looking around, and there's a comment that Desiree Ellis made in relation to the game, where she said uh, a few years ago that we only we really only celebrate people who contribute to the women's game once they're dead. It happens a lot of the time that we do this. We don't celebrate them. Mm-hmm. And actually, what's so exciting about this win is it's a chance to give people their flowers while they're here. Yeah, there's so many great people that built this game that came and went. The one, the first person that ever made me aware of what's happened to South African football was actually uh, UD Similani, mm. a brilliant activist, a brilliant football on and off, you know, brilliant character on and off the field who met like a tragic and grim end due to people who didn't want to see her flourish on or off the field. Um, and it's just really exciting to have something to celebrate, to be like, this is the culmination because we've said this so often in football, right? Regardless of the team, there's a team that needs, they need a defining victory to crown mm-hmm. the era and they finally got it. So many great teams don't get that. So yeah, shout out to them. Yeah, absolutely. And there was a very happy member in the Writers House group chat and despite many of the Writers House crew rooting against him. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> into, <laughs> into family rivalry. It'd be your own people. <laughs> it does, it does. Uh, let's go to the Euros because the final two quarterfinals happens over the weekend, Friday and Saturday since we last spoke. Where do you want to begin? Sweden defeating Belgium and France defeating the Netherlands. Let's begin with France because I feel that was the more compelling game of the two. Sure. Um, Yeah. So, wow. So France, it's funny because I was talking to a friend about this and I was like, I know France are brilliant. I'm just not sure how good they are. Like, or does that make sense? Because the attack is spectacular. The way they build out, they fly forward. Guro, Cascarino, Diani in particular. My goodness, these players, the way they come at you and if it wasn't for the brilliant rear guard action of Van der Great in centre back position, the right centre back position, and Van Domslein goal, who has a strong shout to be keeper of the tournament. Do you know what? I'm like, saying this that, 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 that these were like the quarterfinals defined by great goalkeeping performances, and both of them were on the losing sides. Like Nicky yeah, Everard for Belgium sure. and Daphne yeah. Van Domslein for, for the Netherlands, who yeah. is, has was put in a performance so incredible that she entered into the coveted list of footballers who I have tweeted about making bootleg tees. The Hall of Fame. The Ryan Hunt bootleg t-shirt Hall of Fame. Yes. The, yep. <laughs> what an honour. What an honour. Should be listening on Wikipedia. You know what I'll say as well is that, um, <laughs> so yeah, the scoreline actually, France won Netherlands nil and Really just a misleading scoreline in terms of the balance of, of play, but also fun enough a game that Netherlands could have taken over time yeah, yeah, yeah. they might. Yeah. So just in terms of the it headlines. Was a, it was a strange this, one, wasn't it? The fact because, yeah. because so, so many people were just talking about how like France were like peppering the, the Netherlands goal. The stat was well. I think Amy Rushkai um, shared it and I was like, what on earth? 13 on target. You know, they had an XG of 4.75 uh, to Netherlands 0.67. But That's yet, wild. They, France, in terms of possession, it was France only had well, France had completed four hundred and fifty three passes, and the Netherlands four hundred nineteen. So actually, in terms of like dominance over the ball, yeah, it was kind of balanced. France just did. France just created way more with what they what they had than the Netherlands. And maybe mm. we'll touch on the team selection thing in a bit about it because I think that played a role. Yes, yeah, but France were just an absolute whirlwind, especially in the first half, and they do start with intensity. The thing is, and I said this before, like I think question of um game management and tempo in a plan B because if 
if the shock and awe doesn't work in the first 20 minutes, teams will look at that and be like, oh, we can just absorb this pressure. Well, that's a big, we can just, it's a big, you know, it's a big if. If we can absorb this pressure, then we can come at them. We can work through midfield, can press through them, and then we'll have our joy in the second half onwards, which is kind of what Netherlands did, especially mm. the introduction of Jill Rort. Um, it was a slightly strange decision to leave her on the bench. I know that, you know, you mentioned before that we're chatting before about how Mark Parsons and her had a bit of a fallout. Um, or yeah, she said something like, Jill uh, <laughs> uh, said that Parsons talked too much and that the meetings were too long. <laughs> and because of that, she found herself on the bench. But Viviana Miedemar started the game and played 120 minutes off the back of COVID, which I mean, a lot was made about Miedemar's performance the game and we were talking about the France midfield in particular mm. and how maybe selecting Jill like Jill Rod kind of started to just dominate midfield when she came on yeah yeah very much so yeah. yeah yeah and if she started I think her not starting the game maybe let France off the hook a little bit and I do wonder if if Parsons could have a a do-over whether he could he could ba- he might basically think maybe I wouldn't start Viv and I would start Jill Rod from the beginning. Yeah, it felt like an invitation. It felt like an invitation to go at the, you know, the guts of the, uh, of the, of the Netherlands team. And when you had Berenstain Central, and this is a Berenstain Central pressing, Lika Martin's unfortunately out for the tournament, which is a huge loss. If you, when you had that configuration, that makes France a lot less bold. As it was, you saw Daniel van der Donk struggle really to take control of the midfield, struggle really to find her playing rhythm. She got withdrawn um, with about 20 minutes to go, I think. And so they never really gained control of midfield and that just invited pressure on the back four. And I I must say Dominic Janssen, who's been brilliant for so many years, really struggled in that sort of inside left position and made, you know, I would say two crucial mistakes in the game, one of which ended in the match-winning penalty. And yeah, so France, France outstanding. And also, they will face in Germany a midfield configuration. Debritz, Oberdorf, and Magul are ideally suited to cause them real trouble, especially if Magul comes a little bit deeper than she was playing against Austria. If that midfield three really cohere against France, they, they'll be on their heels a lot more than they were in this tournament, in, 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 this, um, in this game. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Germany have been looking like one of the strongest sides in the tournament. Definitely one of the most complete. They should have got some minutes in the last game after returning from COVID. That's a big didn't start, Which big I think return. is, is a, it's a, really, it's a really good comparison to make between the way that like Martina brought Leia Schuller back in yeah. compared to how Mark Parsons did. Yeah. And her getting some minutes under her belt but not playing the full game for Germany means that she'll be ready and that gives Germany more options against France and um, it's worth pointing out that this is France's first semi-final in the Euros mm. it's a big deal for France as well but I, I, I do think the Netherlands let them off the hook a little bit now obviously bar an unbelievable performance from Van Domsler this could have been 5-6 maybe mm. and you could be the fallout or the, the discussion around this game afterwards could be very very different you know how Goals change games, Musa, as they say. Yes. And other cliches. But it that like I say, it, it felt it was it was a weird game I felt watching it because I think that there were moments where the Netherlands were obviously under the cosh a little bit. Mm. But a lot of those chances were 
good saves or shots from distance or I think you talked about you mentioned it before about how like you know Wendy Renard headers from corners that weren't super duper dangerous but it was just France almost were reduced that cumulative to that. Yeah, yeah. pressure over the Netherlands well they hit the what, woodwork as well though that, can, like, I say, I can, I say, can I say can I say yeah. can I say like the person that my heart went out to the most of all was Guro getting subbed straight after missing that header yeah. That was devastating. She literally missed a goal. She missed a chance with like four minutes to go. Her header goes narrowly wide, which she, I mean, she just absolutely that should have scored. That was a big chance, that. And then she's straight off. She's like substrate. Yeah. Within that like, was the within chance of the game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It, it really was. That That is actually, if you lose it, that's a career-defining miss, actually. Uh, but thankfully it was not to be. Yeah, so Perisic got the, got the penalty and Van Domselaar almost saved it as well. She got a hand yeah. to it, uh, yeah. which was just typical. But France definitely deserved it overall. Without question, yeah. I just say I've got, I, my heart goes out to the Germany fullbacks who've got to deal with Cascarino. That's, uh, I don't enjoy that proposition. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone will, but like Felicitas Rauch on one side, Julia Gvin on the other. Gvin is handy. I think Rauch might struggle a little bit more than Gvin, but. Yeah, yeah but also, it's like we said, ironically, because of her surname, but Felicitas Rauch loves the smoke. Yeah, she does so love the smoke. She loves the smoke. <laughs> so, <laughs> not the best joke I've ever made in German. I think it just might be the best joke I've ever made. Rauch, Rauch means smoke. That's actually a that's a brilliant joke, Ryan. Not actually. We've, we've mentioned joke. this before on the podcast, and I think it's you know it's just one of those that I keep going back to. So good. Playing the hits. <laughs> List does Rauch. Loves the smoke. So yeah, France will play Germany in the other semi-final. Sweden will face England after their stoppage time winner over Belgium to go through one mm. 0 Sweden, man. Sweden are, uh, are kind of like the wedding crashers of this tournament. You know, we were talking about the 5-0 off air. Mm. What were you saying about the 5-0 again? Remind me what you said over Portugal. I find it it's the most emotionally bewildering 5-0 I've ever seen because <laughs> it, it felt like it was a 5-0 that should have been a 2-0. In yeah, a sense yeah. of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, and how is it probably weirdly Sweden would have preferred it that way? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Because this, this drew attention to them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, yeah. I was saying like in the wedding crashes analogy, it's like they, you know, they've been doing really well and they've gone unnoticed and under the radar and then all of a sudden they knocked a load of glasses over and everyone turned yeah. around and was like, like, who's that? What are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I love about wedding crashes as an expression. It's actually, it's because a dark horse that Sweden aren't a dark horse. They're a light horse. Everyone knows what Sweden were, but this thing about the wedding crashes as an analogy, I think it's so good. And I feel like we have to introduce it into like World Cup. And big tournament typologies. Uh, yeah, I agree. What's who's going to be? Who's going to be World, the World Cup, Cup infrastructure? Wedding crash. Yeah, who's going to be wedding crash? Exactly. Love yeah, it. that's the. I think it's a slightly different energy to a dark horse. It's very different. The wedding crashes, you know, you kind of like, oh, there could be someone there. Like, should we just go and check around the back? And actually, yep, Sweden there on the semis. <laughs> Sweden out the back of the wedding reception, like sharing a joint with the bride's mum. Exactly. And they're getting on great, and but the it's, and no one knows why they're there. Do you know what's so weird? Like. Having been to like a few Swedish weddings, why is that the kind of thing I'd expect to see a Swedish wedding? Oh, look at this guy. I've been to a few Swedish weddings in my time. Oh my God. There he is. I have a funny, oh no, I can't tell. I can't tell. Can't, can't tell the podcast. Don't worry, we'll say. Anyway, so on Sweden at this tournament, they are, I would say, I think I've said this, like, they're a superbly attritional team. The most attritional team left in the tournament. They're absolute bosses of the fundamentals. Absolutely yeah. outstanding at the they're fundamentals. Solid, man. So solid with the creativity. Um, so they've got the versatility. Yes, yeah, so solid. So solid Sweden. Yeah. They're brilliant in key areas. They've got Rolfo there, whose versatility is just an absolute ace in the hole. Can play left back, can play left wing, can play central if needs be. You've got Kosovo Aslani, who is just 
the most cerebral player, I think, in the team in terms of just pulling things together, the connective tissue. And, and can play anywhere across the front line, but in this case, is playing as a kind of most advanced of a midfield three. Um, it's almost a kind of 4-2-1-3, and she's the one. And Black Stenius, who, oh. but for us, some marginal offsides. She was so spiritually onside, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but for some marginal offside. And it's a funny onside Stina. Because her goal comes at 24, 25 minutes in, the offside. If they score that, it's an easier proposition because what Belgium were very good at doing was consolidating, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 the, none of the replays I saw actually showed the lines, but she looked so close because she was kind of curving her run, coming back from an on, offside position to, to then get onside and then go again. And she, the thing about Stina, which is so great, I remember going to, what was at the Everton-Arsenal game this season. Mm. She scored a really good goal that was miles onside, but there was no VAR. But the problem is that her run, the timing of her runs is often so precise yeah. that actually she looks way more offside than she was. Mm. You know, she's really good at cutting those runs. I mean, to be honest, I think she's got, she's, she's got such good pace and she's so good at making runs that she could maybe give herself a little bit more of a, of a yard mm. just to not give the officials a decision to make. But yeah, I thought that was really unlucky, actually, because I thought she did really well. And in real time, it looked like she was miles on. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a warning, I suppose. You know, you see those offside goals, you're like, um, you know what, there's a warning not to play too high a line against a team like Sweden. Yeah, totally. Because they can, hurt, they can hurt you in behind and they can hurt you with the set pieces. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think it's going to be plain sailing for England. I think England oh, God, are no, obviously going to be the, yeah, England are obviously going to be the favourites. But there was a lot made after the, the Spain game of England's flaws or what England did wrong. And I think that this is just something that we, we see all the time in international tournaments is that, you know, rare do you see a side go straight out of the blocks, play everyone off the park and do that throughout the entire tournament. You know, when mm. you're playing, when you're getting down to playing like the favourites or one of the four favourites or the four best sides in the semi-final, you're not going to have things your own way. You're not going to be able to play the same way that you are against, let's get real, even though they were tipped to do good things a really disappointing Norway side who just crumbled. Yeah. You're not going to have that against Spain. And I feel like this is why Sweden are very intriguing because they've kind of just done enough. And what you've, I'm not saying that they'll necessarily win the thing, but what we, how many times before have we seen a side that maybe not under, maybe not underwhelmed, but didn't make the most noise in the early in the opening four games of a competition absolutely all of a sudden end up lifting the trophy yeah at international yeah. level we've seen sure. it before yeah like you would we were talking about holland what, in 2008 and the men's yeah holland euros. men's 2008 euros they came they flew out the traps and yeah. um and then they showed their hand and russia did for them in the next round uh by contrast you have spain you know notoriously slow starters in, in tournaments in men's the men's spain team 2010, losing the first game yeah, exactly. to Switzerland. Uh, yeah. Or 2012, one all draw against, um, which is not the worst result, of course, as it turned out against Italy, eventual finalists, but still teams that play their way into tournaments. And sometimes the thing about Sweden is they've ironed out the kinks, I think, so far. Yeah. And the, the slightly worrying thing, I think, about them from an England perspective is they haven't yet put in Sweden their best performance. They're, they're building nicely into something. They, they won very late against Belgium, but fundamentally, you still would have backed them in extra time. Maybe not penalties, because penalties are what they are, but you would still have backed them to find goals and opportunities in extra time, as mm. they found throughout the game against Belgium. Um, 
so yeah, Sweden are they're moving up nicely. And then and then not easy to score against. No, no, for sure. And I mean if you look at like Netherlands obviously were the reigning champions when they won it in twenty seventeen. They didn't beat anyone by more than a single goal in the group stage. Right, right. See, those are the stats that matter, actually. And look, we've said this a thousand times before, but the later stages of a tournament get exponentially harder. Mm-hmm. So if a quarter's tough, a semi is twice as tough, and the margins are smaller. So this comes down to a duel where it's like a set piece off. You know, Sweden are dangerous in those areas. Exciting times all around. But yeah, so you and I will join Ian to talk about that on Wednesday on Wright's House. Yeah, I will throw out a hot take and, see, and say that I, I think that France, Germany will create, if there's going to be any kind of like fireworks in terms of uh, tempo, I would expect France, Germany to be a more open game just because of the nature of how they play. But both games, I think, will be equally engrossing, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Just before we take a break, we mentioned it a bit ago, but the Copa America Femenina are at the semi-final stage. Colombia against Argentina and Brazil against Paraguay. The games are on in the middle of the night, Tuesday and Wednesday, European time. But if you're in the US or in South America, they will you'll be able to watch them. So go check them out and we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on those and touch on them later in the week as well. And the final is on Sunday. In the early hours, let's take a quick break. Let's do it. All right, man. So before we go, yeah, before yeah. we go, a couple of things that we missed from last week as well you want to c- catch up on. Props to Azizal Shuala. And Sadio Mane on being crowned African Footballers of the Year. Outstanding achievements. Yep. Thoroughly deserved. Can't argue. Can't it's the growth. Argue I, it's the all. growth that I love for Ashwala because the one thing that was missing, yeah. I think, was the absolutely lethal finishing. We saw that at the late stages of the Champions League a couple of years ago, where greater decisiveness would really have um, helped Barcelona. And she's brought that through um, to an outstanding level. So uh, much props to her. And also to Sadio Mane, who had one of the, will it's going to go down as one of the great mm. almost Ballon d'Or seasons I think like he almost but for that fingertip save onto the post um, by Courtois if Mane scores the opener or the winner in that final and by the way this is a man that always shows up in big finals always shows up in big games then I think he's a very strong shout well he's my shout for the Ballon d'Or as it was Benzema just you know was lights out um, in domestic and European competition. But the season that Sadio Mane had, you're winning an AFCON mid-season and coming back and delivering what he delivered in cup competitions and in the league. I mean, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. To push to push that City team that close in his yeah, last year. Yeah. A couple of results away from being an absolute lock for the Ballon d'Or. Oh my goodness. If they win the Champions League and beat City to the Premier League title, He's the Ballon d'Or winner. To be honest, I don't even think they need the, ti- the Premier League title. I think the Champions League would have done it. One of, yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Extraordinary what he did. Extraordinary. Yeah. Speaking of Sadio Mane, he scored on his debut for Bayern, as did Matthias De Ligt, who had an eventful debut. <laughs> scored, was kind of at fault for one of the, uh, for one of the goals. Got away with a, with, a, with a gnarly tackle. Got booked for a shirt pull. Got injured. He felt everything, didn't he? He, he, went, his he went full... The the Dutch Jonathan Woodgate <laughs> existential debut. Um, but he looks happy. He looks he looks really. It's a smart signing. It's a lot yeah. of money for buying that. It's a lot of money that they spent mm. on Delict. But I think it's you've they've done quite well to basically get their money back for him. I think so. Yeah. Um, that's you, isn't it? Even they lose, they don't lose. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Intriguing. Yeah. Interesting that, huh? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he's going to do really well at Bayern. Yeah, I yeah. It's gonna I think so. Be, it's a, it just kind of fits really well. And it's strange to be so happy for a complete stranger, but I'm like, this is such a good fit, such a good move, I think. Especially uh, a complete stranger going to Bayern. Yeah, right. I know, right. I know. This is so like, this is so not someone who lives in Berlin energy. But just in terms of someone whose um, career trajectory has really been altered by a bad move, you know, I, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm still not sure if Donny van der Beek will, will return to the level he was at. I worry most for him. I worry for Frankie de Jong as well, who is having adventures at centre-back for Barcelona. I worry for him. But Delict now, I see that and think, actually, you're the best place of those three to kick on and do so, to kick on and do something fundamental for your, your new team. Such an, such an unbelievable parallel between really fun teams that then make big money moves individually mm. to other teams and just really beloved music groups that just that all want to go and do solo projects and they never they never quite hit the same. It's so rare it. actually. It's rare that you find someone come up being like, oh, actually, it's solo stuff. Solo it's like, stuff a, it's like, like a mate. A mate of it. mine was a mate of mine was one of the most spectacular writers you've ever seen. Like one of the best pro stylists. This guy could write anybody under the table when it came to writing prose, and he went off and like you know went and made his money in a hedge fund. And I was like, yeah, like, good luck. He's practically retired now. But I remember thinking, like, we missed out on 20 years of the best essays and books. Like, we, 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 he's not going to produce that now because, like, he's in a different place, you know, mentally he's doing different things now this life. But I was like, oh, man, like, I preferred your early material. And I reckon, like, the world, been, the world would have been better off with your earlier material. Like, I, I said to him, I told this the other day, I said, dude, like, you've done your thing and like, you know, you fed your family and all of that. And like, you know, you fed your like grandchildren's grandchildren at this point. But I was like, man, like you're one of the best writers we didn't see. And I told him that. I was like, you, you had everything. You're the guy I looked up to. So yeah, it's a, I feel like that Ajax team was the Ajax that like we look up to, you know, and it's a shame it never got to run it back. Yeah. I wish they'd all stay together. Yeah. 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 But you know, I hope they're all happy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, do you know who does look quite happy? Is that this Arsenal squad? Not really talked much about Arsenal preseason. Oh, I'm, I love that we can talk about this. I did a little bit with on Wrighty's house with Gab, when Gabriel Jesus signed, but mm. um, Alexander Sinchenko has signed since we last spoke. I love that and signing. Made his debut at left back for Arsenal when they on their four 0 win over Chelsea. We've got to see Raheem Sterling as well, who weirdly looks less weird in a Chelsea kit than I thought he would. It's like the Daniel Sturridge thing though, isn't it? Like he went Ooh, on that tour of yeah. clubs as well. They were on the same. Yeah. And actually those, those three clubs, actually they don't contradict each other. That They're actually quite good clubs to go between. They're all high profile, but they don't have that thing where there's that, that direct animosity. If you think about Liverpool, Chelsea, City, there's not a direct animosity between them. Like the only animosity that Sterling should have been concerned about, which was, you know, put to bed with his debut because you, the reception you mentioned that he got, you know, it was, it was put to bed by the huge cheer that he got. And, yeah, he got a massive reception. And, and yeah. st- what I love about Sterling as a footballer, as similar to Jadon Sancho, he's such a plug and play footballer. You can mm. just put him in and he fits. Like, such an intelligent player, so good at combining. Like, he, he's one of those players where what he does on the ball is weirdly enough as great as it is. It's even more impressive what he does without it. I'll always remember that game when the, when the game we always talk about, Man City-Liverpool, 
the 2-1 where Sterling's just pulling wide in the final minutes and just stretching the the team so that needs to score. Liverpool need to score, but they're just they're terrified of Sterling on the counter. Um, I'm really happy for him. But what I will say, just coming back to Arsenal, we've talked before about how um, pre-season is not a good indicator of what happens in the season. I would slightly disagree in relation to just the specific context of what's happening at Arsenal and maybe also Chelsea to an extent. Chelsea struggling because of the new owner and struggling to hire maybe a consistent scorer. But, you know, seeing Arsenal at training camp and seeing how locked in they were and feeling a sense of this chemistry looks great and just the, the hires they've made are just, you know, two of maybe my favourite transfers of recent times. Like, Gabriel Jesus and Sinchenko are such incredible upgrades for Arsenal just in terms of on-field expertise. Like you saw the Sinchenko's passings out of this world. You see the link-up play that, that Gabriel Jesus is putting out, but also just like the seniority and the yeah, leadership. One shit. The leadership, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not the afraid. Lead. They're not afraid. It's just amazing. I love these signings when you go and buy winners like this. And, you know, Mikel Arteta is, it's, it's his team now. It's absolutely yeah. his team. And it, this, is a, this is a strong squad. This is a squad actually, and here's the funny thing, this is now a Champions League top four contender, yep. in my view, without and That question, brings a different top. pressure. That just brings a new it pressure does. to Arteta this season. But, it does. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I actually mentioned on the last podcast about how, you know, we might not see teams figure it out until the international break. And actually what you touched on there, uh, or you were talking about it off air about, teams rejigging because of the World Cup actually you're, mm. you, you said you're seeing teams look a lot more complete earlier this season mm. because the World Cup arrives early and actually I think you're right I, I, I realised afterwards that I think maybe you might actually get a better sense sooner in the season because it seems like a lot of teams are trying to get their business done early because of the yes because of the World Cup like you mentioned so so maybe you're right actually maybe maybe you might not I mean, also one thing I'd say as well is the, yeah, like, the, exce- the let, exception to the rule. Yeah, sorry, Karen, being rude. Yeah, no, I'll just say like let let fans enjoy or pay as much attention or take as much meaning out of preseason as they want to take out of it. Mm. Like this is the thing about yeah. preseason. It's like I personally don't look at it a huge amount or judge a huge amount out of there. But it's a lot of it's based on who who they play and what you know whatever. But I think that. I you think know, we've let, had more let significant. Fans, let, fans, let fans enjoy it if they want to enjoy it. And this? if they're not putting too much importance on it, let them do it. Normally, I, I think pre-seasons don't matter too much. And the, the key example I use is when Atleti absolutely blew away Real Madrid in the pre-season and then went yeah. back to being Atleti in the regular season. Having said that, the pronouncements made by people like Frank Lampard about the concern for relegation mm. battle Everton with Tuchel expressing his frustration about the turnover in his squad, those are as significant statements I've heard by major coaches in a preseason, as I can remember. Like it's, I've, it's very unusual to hear coaches come out and talk about almost the destination or the, the direction of the season so early in such stark terms. That's strange to me. Yeah. You don't um, want to, you don't want to be, you don't want to be in a relegation battle before a ball's been kicked. Yeah. Also, here's the thing. You don't be, you, you don't want to be a quotable coach in the preseason. Mm. You want to say boring things. They're not keeping it boring. And because they're not keeping it boring, yeah, I'm man. thinking this is actually... Go prop Joe on it. Yeah, I'm thinking it should have kept it dead effing boring. Like, I feel like... Can you say the full quote? No, I'm not, because I don't like swearing on the phone. Say the full quote. No, because you never know. Because I've got... No, my godson listens to this. Blame me. 
No, 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 I'm not going to, no, because he'll be like... I'm not going to name him, but Musa's godson, you know who you are. I said hello to you the other day. You're like, Uncle Musa. Put your earmuffs on for five seconds. (laughs) I'm not saying it. it. What's the quote? Say the quote. I'm not saying it. Say it. I only swear on this podcast I'm angry. I'm not angry. (laughs) Well, say the fucking quote then. (laughs) (laughs) You angry now? I'm trying to poke poke Musa. (laughs) Go on. Hey, your last book was shit. (laughs) Say the quote. It was. It no, was it wasn't. It was because you haven't read it. It was. It was. What you t- which one you talked about? One of them? No, this the worst books don't make it out. Listen, we all know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just that the worst yeah, stays in the drafts. Oh, yeah, stay in the drafts. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, say the quote. I'm not saying it. Oh, anyway, I think, the, I think the moment's passed. Wow. <laughs> Boo. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. Yeah, so, <laughs> I'm just going to keep booing you until you say it. Boo! Stick it to my guns. Anyway, what were we talking about? Quotable, the quotable the, coaches. If a coach is quotable in the preseason, you know something's wrong. You know something's wrong. <laughs> You're not going to catch me. Quotable coaches uh, in the preseason. Very excited for Arsenal. Can I say as well, on a slightly side note, I'm actually really happy that Alexander Zinchenko has gone to Arsenal as a player from Ukraine because just the visibility on that, like obviously City, a high profile club, don't get me wrong, but in terms of mm. social media, like profile of Arsenal yeah, and the yeah. conversation, it's just another way to keep that conversation going about Ukraine off the field. So I'm really happy from that perspective. Yeah, yeah. We've already had a Classico. We have. Classico in inverted commas. Yes. Uh, Rafinha scored an absolutely amazing goal in this game. Glorious but strike. He's looking pure- very happy. Yeah, he's got the glow up. But what I will say with this Barcelona team, they have to win soon. Not just financially, yeah, they do. But, yeah. but Xavi spent a lot of money. Well, the club spent a lot of money. I, having said all that, I think Xavi now has the pieces for them to be regarded as at least a joint favourite. Because Madrid's attack... I mean, Barca, let's just... Take, yeah, we, yeah. We, we talked about the Barca yeah. situation off the field yeah. the other day, and I still yeah. think that they, you know, they... they have those challenges. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, they've sold and they've now yeah. up the the sale of the TV rights to 25%, but the squad that they are assembling, if they are allowed to register everyone and actually build that squad, and they still need to flip some people, and that's the problem that we said the other day, is just like people know that they need to get rid of some people. Yes. But, you know, they're talking about, like, it looks like they might get Kunde if they do. Then again, like, this, this is a huge. squad that they've Kunde built, Araujo. which is unbelievable. And it's just, it's just all financially dependent if they can actually register everyone. Mm. But it's, there's, there's not a lot, there, there aren't a lot of excuses anymore for Javi no. or Barca. I mean, yeah. I think he's well-placed to address that. I mean, I don't think he's afraid of those challenges. If you look at the strengths they needed to add, they've added more strength in midfield. That was essential. Mm-hmm. Um, they've added dead-eye finishing and Lewandowski. They've got at least two years of that, given his fitness levels. They've got the finishing and they've got the strength in midfield. They're still weak, I would say, at the right-back position. Mm-hmm. Um, full-back, but generally, they're, they're not the strongest, but central defensive heft that they're adding. I, I just think they, they've, got, they've got the vitamins to win this whole thing. Although Gerard Piquet did get booed by 60 or 1,000 people in Las Vegas because they were all siding with Shakira over the breakup. <laughs> so. Yes. Uh, I, mean, I mean, Gerard Piquet is someone who just, I mean, that man's life is a biopic at this point. It was before. I, I think his stock's fallen a bit, you know. I think so. It's gone, I think a, lot. So. It's gone a lot, especially with all that dealings with the, with the stuff about the Supercopper and yeah. 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 
Oh dear, oh that's, dear. A, that's um, a yeah tragic tragic figure in some ways. Staying in the states quickly, Gareth Bale scored for LAFC and ran over to the bench to celebrate with Giorgio Chiellini. Not a sentence I thought I'd say in 2022. Not right. Then again, when did you think you'd see Sergio Ramos congratulating Messi on a goal of his? So there you go. Fair play. Yeah, I, d- I think those two are going to have a lovely time in LA. Yeah, I really hope we get to go to a game this year. I'd love to. I'd love to go and see LAFC. Yeah, fingers crossed. Was, was the ringer not got a box? <laughs> 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 One final thing before we we wrap. Yeah, uh, it happened just after we recorded on on Monday. But Ben Me signed for Brentford in a transfer that we love because bless Ben Me, he aimed to make his transfer carbon neutral by offsetting his carbon emissions for a year. I'm taking this from a, a piece on the BBC that said, Me usually drives an electric car, but made the journey from his home in Hale, Greater Manchester, to West London in a petrol car as he did not know where the nearest charging points were in the area he's staying at his new club, which is a lovely detail. To ensure the emissions created during the 36-hour period of his transfer were covered, the 32-year-old has paid a fee to Carbon Neutral Britain, which is a UN-certified scheme to cover his output. Me, who wants to keep learning more about sustainability, said, I'm conscious that transfers rack up a lot of air miles and a lot of driving miles as well, so I'm looking to offset my emissions for this transfer. I'm not perfect, but I want to do my bit to make this transfer carbon neutral. Although it cannot be determined exactly the amount of emissions created through the deal, Me has ensured he has covered an average person's emissions for a one-year period. Me's donation will see the money used to plant 20 trees a month and offset 15 tonnes of, uh, of CO2 per year, with the average output for Britain being 12 to 14 tonnes a year. How Wonderful. cool! He's just, like that guy, every time his name pops up, or off the field stuff, it's always to his credit. Black Lives Matter and now this. It's just a cool scheme. That needs to be, that needs to be, that needs to be, needs to be the, the icon, be like me. Be, be like, like me. me. Yeah, be like me. That's it. I might do a, I might do a Ben Me bootleg tea. A Ben Me carbon neutral bootleg tea. And just a great player and a great signing for Brentford. There's so many signings signing I've looked at. Brentford. I think there's been a high percentage of signings I've looked at this summer mm. and been like, that just fits. You know, like so many, whether it's Zinchenko, whether it's me, whether it's Lingard to Forrest, you look and you go, yeah, that fits. <laughs> One takeaway I've had from this season actually is just like, okay, so you all knew what you were doing all along and you just decided not to. Yeah, exactly. Exa- thank you. Like PSG with Michele, I'm like, hang on a minute. Yeah. Ah, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Oh, mm. Somebody's grown up. Interesting. Although there's rumours that Chelsea have uh, thrown in a bid for and trying to, trying to send Timo Shock Werner horror. back to RB Shock Leipzig. Horror. Shock horror. This Chelsea's new ownership hijacking a bid. Who knew? Uh, what uh, more? Any more surprises? Oh, no. Shift don't go after Chelsea because... I'm not, you're not allowed to go after anything Chelsea related unless until you start manning the Stadio emails. <laughs> listen, I said what I said. Yeah, listen, and listen, I have to listen, reply. Listen, it is fair comment, Chelsea fans, that this new ownership, they love a bit hijack. They love a bit hijack. <laughs> I love to see it. To be honest, when I saw there was news of a hijack, I actually burst out laughing. I was like, this is my happy place. That's the most joy I've had in this transfer yeah, window. Like, honestly, if Musa Kwonga, Chelsea Sporting Director, has tried to hijack every single bid of every <laughs> single transfer this season, oh, just goodness. for the fun of it. Oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> and do you know what he'd do? He'd drive the price up and then walk away. Never wanted him in the first place, actually. That's what, oh my God, you would be the most chaotic sporting director. Don't even start. I oh, don't even, oh my goodness. All that power. <laughs> You'd be like less bearable 
Salama's energy. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> the main character energy. <laughs> Musog Wanga, Bayern Munich Sporting Director, has said that the club will be interested in signing Cristiano Ronaldo for 100 million euros from Manchester United. Back out when the asked deal. to comment on it, on backing out, Musog Wanga said, you knew what this was. <laughs> I... I'd need, oh my gosh, I need to be a sporting director at some point in my life. Anything you want to shout out before we bounce? Or shall we save it? I think we're good. If we miss, if we miss some stuff, apologies. There's a lot going on. Absolutely. There. It's high, there's a lot of football. Yeah. There's a lot of preseason stuff. There's a lot of transfers. But yeah, we'll try and keep up on everything. And obviously yeah. we'll have our preview pods. There was a community shield this weekend as well as the Euros final. Mm. So men's domestic football is back. Oh, the, the Schweizer Bundesliga is already on one. I haven't even had a chance to talk about the Schweiz Bundesliga, aka the best Liga developed. And it's already it's already on one. Going off, yeah. No, but I mean, I'm good. I have nothing further to to throw into the hat. Yeah, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Obviously, like we mentioned at the top of the show, nice busy Ringer FC feed this week, so keep an eye on that. Uh check the ringer.com and check our Stadio Outros players on Spotify speaking of which playing out on one for South Africa. Buster Manjani. I'm taking a journey. Take us on a journey, Musa, before we go. <laughs> come with me as I'm the sporting director of no no <laughs> come, get me out of here <laughs> see you next see you next time <laughs> alright much love everyone back later in the week bye